Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. This message was preached on December 12, 2021. Most of us really love Christmas, and we know both the Bible stories of Jesus and the traditional Christmas stories that get told this time of year about Santa, reindeer, kings, angels, ghosts of Christmas past, all kinds of stories out there. This year I enjoyed listening to a Christmas story as told to me by two very and highly animated granddaughters who told me the story of their elf on a shelf named Snowflake. And it took them about half an hour to tell me the story. They were so excited and kept interrupting each other. And I really enjoyed that. Like you, I enjoy Christmas traditions. And my hunch is you're already pretty well immersed in them. Um, You probably have purchased already some Christmas presents. You've probably put up a Christmas tree or lights or a nativity scene or something like that. You may have already started to consume some Christmas cookies or candies, maybe have watched a Christmas movie or two already. I, I, I found a new one this year. Um, I've seen several versions. It's not really new, but I just didn't, hadn't seen it before. There are several versions of A Christmas Carol out there, um, but somehow I had never seen the one with Patrick Stewart, Captain Jean-Luc Picard, as Scrooge, and I really enjoyed that one. That is a new favorite for me. You probably have heard many Christmas songs already. I hope you've been blessed by the good Christmas Christian classics like Joy to the World, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, um, Silent Night. It's also fun listening to some of the other Christmas music, the fun songs like Jingle Bells or Rudolph or one of my personal favorites, and I can't explain why, but you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. <laughs> I really do like that one. I also hope you've managed to avoid some of the worst Christmas songs of all time. Songs like Santa Baby, Baby It's Cold Outside, and maybe the worst one of all, my kids know I will immediately turn off the radio when Last Christmas I Gave You My Heart comes on. Some are fun, some are not. But as fun as most of the Christmas traditions are, I want to make sure you know the real story of the first Christmas, of Mary and Joseph and Gabriel, of the Magi and King Herod, of Zechariah and John and Elizabeth, of the shepherds. And especially, I want to make sure that you know the story of Jesus. And so for that reason, for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the birth story of Jesus in Matthew, and then probably for all next year, we're going to study the gospel of Luke. I really want you to know Jesus. Now understand, it's not enough to say that Jesus is the main character of the Bible, although that is true. It's not enough to say that Jesus is the hero of the Bible, although that's true. Without Jesus... The Old Testament would be nothing more than a collection of interesting stories, but ultimately meaningless because they lead to no real conclusion or point. And of course, without Jesus, the New Testament would have no reason to be written. 
Without Jesus, God would be a powerful but mostly unknown and unknowable God way out there somewhere. Without Jesus, there would be no reason for the church, no hope for our souls, no reason to do good, and we might as well be animals playing the game of survival of the fittest. We need to know Jesus, and so I want you to know Jesus, who he is, what he did, what he said, how he was born, how he lived, how he died, what he did after death, where he is now, how he wants us to live. And so I really hope that you will make a commitment to join us for the next year as we look first into Matthew and then into Luke and focus on who Jesus is. And we start today with Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. I will make reference to the first 17 verses. They are the genealogy of Jesus, but there's some challenging names in there, so I'm not going to read that publicly, but we are going to pick up the story in Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. Let's stand together as we read this part of the story. And here's how it reads, Matthew 1, 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. You may be seated. That's a very powerful and also a very well-known story. And, and something happens sometimes in church when we read a well-known story. Our mind tells us, yeah, I know this one, and so we kind of click off our brain. I don't want you to do that. I want you to think not just about the details of the story of an angel coming to Joseph and telling him that the baby had been conceived from the Holy Spirit and that he was to name him Jesus, and, and Joseph did that. Don't just think of the details, but think about what it means. And I want to share with you three ultimate truths based on this passage as we begin our study of Jesus. And the first thing I want you to see, this first Christmas shows us God's plan. From the very beginning, I want you to understand that, and in Matthew points it out, God had a plan. This was not plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E, plan X. From the very beginning, God's plan was for Jesus to come to earth. As I said, we skipped over the genealogy, but Matthew starts off the book this way. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so he's going through from Abraham to, 
to, to, to David right on down that this is how God worked this out. So I want you to understand some things about God's plan. When God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1, he already had a plan for Jesus to come down. When Adam sinned in Genesis 3, God already had a plan to forgive sin through Jesus. When God called Abraham from Ur to the promised land, or in today's terms, from Iraq to Israel, God already had a plan that one of Abraham's descendants would give birth to God's son, Jesus. When David sinned with Bathsheba, God already had a plan to forgive their sin and use that great evil for great good, and their son became an ancestor of Jesus. When the nation of Israel went into captivity, God already had a plan to redeem their nation and refine their faith and ultimately redeem mankind through their nation. And so generations later, as God had planned from the very beginning, God worked out all the details of that plan to bring Abraham's descendant and the heir to David's throne together with another descendant of Abraham, Mary, whose story we will see in Luke, to be the earthly parents of Jesus. God moved people and nations, an empire, a census, a wicked king, and a thousand other details together. Nothing was by chance. All of this was God's plan from the very beginning. And I want you to see that. Both, both Matthew and Luke, when they tell the birth story of Jesus, tell the genealogy. This was the plan from the very beginning. God knew what he was doing. God had a plan. And that's the ultimate difference, by the way, that I want you to understand between secular and believing scientists. Scientists, secular ones anyway, see only chance. This happened, and it caused this, and it caused this, and it caused this, and there is no real direction but chance. Believers like us, like you and I, see the evidence that from the very beginning, God had a plan. And at the right time, according to his plan, which he had from the beginning, he used godly parents and the teaching of the Old Testament and his spirit to forge the character of both Joseph and Mary. And he led them to be pledged to marriage in Nazareth. He sent angels to both of them to give them their parts of the story and ultimately led them to Bethlehem so that their son, King of the Jews, and the Savior of the world would be born in the city of David. God had a plan. And I want you to start with that. And I want you to think about it, because in a few minutes, when I get to the application point, I'm going to tell you this. God still has a plan, and it includes you. I mean, this is his plan for Jesus, but he also has a plan for you, and he has a plan for me. And sometimes we just get caught up in chance. Oh, this bad thing happened, this bad thing happened, this bad thing happened, all these horrible circumstances Listen, I want you to know and I want you to understand God has a plan for you and God has a plan for me and God has a plan for Avondale Baptist Church. I'm going to challenge you to participate with it.
work with it, find out what it is, and join God's plan. The first Christmas shows God's plan. The second thing that this passage clearly shows is Jesus' identity, who he is. Look at the titles given to him in this passage alone. There are many more in Luke. There are many in the Old Testament. There are many other titles given to to Jesus in the the epistles. But just in this passage alone, look at the titles given to Jesus. In verse 1, he is called the Messiah, which is Hebrew for Christ, the Savior. He's also called the Son of David. In other words, the king. In verse 18, again, he is called the Messiah. Also in 18, he is presented as the son of God because Mary was pregnant, not from Joseph, but from the Holy Spirit of God. In verse 21, he is to be named Jesus, or in the Hebrew, Yeshua, which means salvation. Because the angel said he will save his people from their sin. In verse 23, he is called Emmanuel, God with us. In other words, he is God himself who came to earth to live with us, to teach us, to love us, to die for us, and someday to come back and take us to be with him forever. So you can see what Matthew is telling us. This is not the gospel of a man. This is not a typical human birth story. I got nine of them that I could tell you about my children and eight more that I could tell you about my grandchildren. And my mom again, this last couple of weeks, told me again the story of when when, when I was born. All births are incredible and miraculous, but Jesus's was on a whole different level because of who he is. He's not just a man, he's God. He's not just a good man, though he certainly was. He's not just the best man ever, although he certainly was. He is man and he is God. And I want you to understand that it is that belief that Jesus is God that separates Jesus' followers from everyone else who believes in God. Jews believe in God, but they do not believe that Jesus is God. Muslims believe in a God, but they do not believe that Jesus is God. Many people from all cultures and all places believe in a God or gods or some kind of deity or some kind of force. What sets us aside as Christians is that we believe Jesus is God. That is our ultimate identity and our ultimate key point of doctrines. And listen, by the way, if you believe that, that Jesus is God, then all the objections that people make about the Gospels fade away. I've talked to a lot of people who doubt the virgin birth story. They doubt the stories of Jesus healing the lame or feeding 5,000 with one lunch or raising the dead or of himself coming back from the dead. Now listen, if Jesus were a man, I would agree 100% with your objections. Men aren't born from virgins. Men can't feed 5,000 people and have food left over with one sack lunch. Men 
can't just proclaim people healed and have their disease go away. Men can't bring the dead back to life. Men certainly cannot come out of the grave themselves. But if you believe the ultimate Christian doctrine that Jesus is God, none of those things seem all that incredible. It's just reality. God? Oh, it's just Joe. Okay. Yeah, mute your phone and mute Mary Kay. Okay, let's go on. (laughs) But if he really is God, then of course he's going to come into the world in some miraculous way. And he's not going to be just the son of Joseph, but the son of God. And if he really is God, of course he's going to be able to feed people because he created all food. And since he created our bodies, if he is God, he ultimately, obviously, is going to be able to heal our bodies and even bring us, bring them back from the dead. And if he really is God, of course, you can't keep him in a grave because God is not dead. And so the key belief, and that's what I ask you to believe in when I call you to believe, the key ultimate belief is that Jesus is God. And if you believe that, all the other objections fade away. And so when you're arguing about the feeding of the 5,000, things like understand what you're really arguing. If you accept that Jesus is God, man, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are just obvious. Because they tell the story of God, not just a man. And so this first Christmas shows us God's plan, Jesus' identity. But I also want you to see this. I want you to see Joseph's participation. And through that, I want you to understand the key way that God works in this world. God usually does not do his work directly. He does it through willing human beings who believe in him and obey him. And you can see how greatly Joseph participated in this plan. He was a man of godly character. So when he found out that Mary was pregnant, and if you put yourself into his situation and think about it, you will understand how deeply this had to hurt him. Because he was still a virgin, and he assumed Mary was, and then he hears that she's pregnant. And the only obvious explanation was that she had cheated on him. You can see how deeply that would have hurt him. But as a man of godly character, he acted with integrity and compassion as a follower of God, rather than in the rage and bitterness of an angry man. And not wanting to hurt her, he was going to divorce her quietly. And when God spoke to him in a dream, he immediately believed and obeyed. And he obeyed without complaint or excuses. I've always found it interesting that no word in the Bible of Joseph exists. He apparently was a quiet man of action and obedience rather than a man of speech. So he made no excuses. He made no complaints. He didn't throw out, but God, you don't understand. He simply did what God had called him to do. 
He endured the hardships of a pregnant fiancé, the probable taunts of others, the challenge of traveling to Bethlehem where Mary gave birth to Jesus, traveling however you think about it, by cart, by donkey, by walking most likely, 100 plus miles with a woman in her ninth month was a challenge. He accepted without question the burden of raising and loving and teaching a child who was not his, even though raising that child forced him to flee for his life and then to relocate to another country. He was a godly man of integrity and a father full of love and a man of obedience. He is a supreme example of the kind of person that God uses today. I think I've shared this with you before. Other than Jesus himself, Joseph is my favorite Bible character. Now I want you to understand something. God still has a plan today, but he works his plan through people like Joseph or you and I when we become people of integrity and faith and obedience. Now, now let me add something about Joseph. He wasn't one of the 12 disciples like Peter. He wasn't a preacher like Paul. He wasn't a priest like Zechariah. He wasn't a king like his ancestor David. He didn't write beautiful poetry like his wife Mary. He wasn't a great writer like Luke. He was an everyday, ordinary carpenter. But he accepted God's plan for his life. And he did what God had called him to do. And he executed it to near perfection. We often in today's world put way too much emphasis upon preachers and leaders and staff members and famous government people, God's work is done primarily by people like you. Everyday, ordinary people who love God, believe in Him, and are called to do His work. So I don't want you to think, man, I wish I could do some great thing for God. If you understand what God's plan is for your life, and you do it, you are doing exactly what God wants, and you are making a difference for God. It's not just preachers and music leaders and singers and teachers. God has a plan for every single person, and he's willing to use them as part of his plan. Joseph doesn't get a whole lot of credit. It doesn't matter because he wasn't looking for credit. He just did what God called him to do. And he did it well. And he became a very important part of the story of what God is doing. So let me give you two points of personal application. And you can already probably figure out where they are. How do you apply that? I want you to accept the truth that God has a plan for you. I want you to understand and believe with all your heart that God has a plan for me. He has a role for me. 
He has work for me. He has some things he wants me to do in my family, in my church, in my neighborhood, on the job, in my school. I want you to buy into this truth that I've shared with you, that God has a plan and you and I are part of it. God has a plan and Avondale Baptist Church is part of it. And so I want you to accept that fact. And if you're still alive, God still has a plan for you. Someone shared with me this week, you know, I'm too old to be of much use to God. What I told her was, I'd kind of let God make that decision, because when you're too old to be of any use, he'll call you home. He hadn't done that yet. You're still here. You're not too old. And children, you're not too young. And moms, you're not the wrong sex. You're not the wrong gender. Teenagers, you don't have to wait for God's plan because you're already in it. So I want you to buy the truth that God has a plan and he has a plan for you. So then the obvious application of that is to choose to find it and follow it. And it's not as mysterious as it seems. You just start by asking God, honestly, God, what's your plan for me? At this point in my life, a man of age 63, what's your plan for me? Ask God. And then participate in the Christian disciplines because it's when you're doing those that God often speaks. <coughs> Regular every week worship. Regular everyday prayer and Bible reading. Serving God in the church. Telling others about Jesus. It's when you are doing already what God tells you to do that he often shows you the next step. If you're going to sit back and say, God, when you tell me what to do, then I'll do it, you may never know. Start doing today what you already know. And as you begin to follow, that's when he shows you the next step. So choose to, <coughs> to find God's will for your life. He has a plan. You've got to accept that. And then say yes. It, it, it may not seem like a big thing at the time. Joseph, I want you to be a dad. Okay, well, that's what I wanted to be. Be a dad. Be a good one. Love him. Can you imagine the challenge? By the way, Joseph, remember you're raising my son, God would tell him. <laughs> so that's a big job. We don't know any of the particulars because we know very little of the interaction between Joseph and, and Jesus. But you can look at Jesus' character and see dad taught him a lot. And that was his role. That was his task. And he doesn't get a lot of credit. He's always the, the, the quiet guy in the Christmas pageants. Usually doesn't even get to hold the baby. Mary gets to do that. But he did what God wanted him to do. And that's exactly what I'm challenging you to do. You find out what God wants you to do. Don't go out on your own path before you've stopped and prayed, God, what do you want? When you find out what God wants you to do, yes is the only possible answer. And then you'll find 
as I did. This is what God made me for. When I first began to tell people God called me to preach, they looked at me like I was from another planet, like I was a crazy man, and it totally scared me to death because I was always the quiet guy in church, the quiet guy in class, never said a word. Ain't no way you're going to be able to be a preacher because I couldn't talk. Now you can't shut me up. I don't know what changed. But I found out that doing what God called me to do is exactly what God had created me for, and I'm challenging you to find it. So during our prayer, I'm going to ask you to ask God. Okay, God, for today and in this next stage of my life, what is it you want me to do? And I'm going to go ahead and tell you yes. Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church. If we can help you in any way, please contact us. Our information is on our webpage at abcaz.net, or you can call us at 623-932-2723. Thank you, and may God bless you and your family.